This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and we have a very good episode for you today, as we're going to be breaking down the NHL's Central Division, the first of four division previews here at the Hockey Hotbed. We figured let's start with one of the most interesting divisions in the Central Division, because there's a lot of teams that could be good, and a lot of teams that might be good. So we'll get down into all of that in the second and third segments, as you can see here to my left, I guess it would be. But we're going to start with some news from around the league because with NHL training camps kicking off this week, there's been plenty of news. There's been signings. There have been jersey unveils. There has been captaincies taken away. We'll get into all of that really quickly here in the first segment before we get into the entirety of of the Central Division and my expectations for all eight teams in the NHL's Central Division. Let's start with the news from around the league, though, starting with obviously a lot of big signings here this week. I want to I want to start in net because Elvis Mers Lincolns of the Columbus Blue Jackets early in this week signed a five-year, $5.4 million extension with the Columbus Blue Jackets. That does not kick in until next season for Columbus. But the question that that makes me ask is, does this make him the 1A and make Jonas Corposalo the 1B? This is a lot of money to be giving a goaltender like Elvis Merz-Lincolns, who has played well so far in his career. But you also have Jonas Corposalo, who has been a very good goaltender for you as well. So I'm not quite sure what Blue Jackets general manager Yarmo Kekalainen is thinking with this with, con- with this contract. We've seen a lot of goalie contracts signed in this offseason. A lot of them for a lot of money for some very young goaltenders. We saw Alex Nedeljkovic get a good deal after only one season in the league. We saw a goaltender like Philip Grubauer get a pretty good contract with the Seattle Kraken. Now, he was a Vezina finalist last year, so there's a little bit more reasoning behind giving him a big contract but Elvis Mers Lincoln's I mean good on good on him a five-year deal that's a little bit of security for him in Columbus does this make him the 1A though and does it make Corpusolo the 1B I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work out this year in Columbus we haven't gotten to my Metropolitan Division breakdown yet but when we talk about Columbus I don't expect them to be that good this year do they have two good goaltenders yes I think Mers Lincoln's and I think Corpusolo are both very good goaltenders, but $5.4 million for Elvis on a five-year extension. Not something I was expecting to see at the beginning of this week, that's for sure. A little bit later, the defenseman started to kick in. Rasmus Dahlin, an RFA, was signed by Buffalo to a three-year contract, $6 million a year. The number one overall pick in 2018 has been a pretty decent defenseman for a pretty bad Buffalo Sabres team. 
Buffalo, of course, was in the news a little bit later in the week. A lot of Buffalo fans were actually not happy about the Darlene signing. Yeah, you want to get him signed. Yeah, he's one of your best players. If not your best player left once Jack Eichel is gone. You're going to build this team around Owen Power and Rasmus Darlene. So understandably, you had to give Darlene the money. Now what this deal did is it did bring Buffalo to the cap floor this year. They're not worried about running over salary cap. They had to get to the cap floor and this deal does it for them. They have the money. They're not going to be spending that money over the next three years. So why not give it to Rasmus Dahlin? You have to do something to keep somebody in Buffalo. And Rasmus Dahlin is a very good defenseman. A defenseman that you could build a team around. Why not give him that money when you're not going to spend it anywhere else? Let him make some money. Does this screw you in three years time? We don't know. But right now... From point A to point B, from right now to three years from now, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in Buffalo. The one thing that they should be doing is working on retaining and taking care of the players that they have left there. And Rasmus Dahlin should have been at the top of their list, and it seems like he was. Some people don't think he was worth $6 million a year. Listen, maybe he's not. He's still worth at least four, four and a half million dollars a year. If you're going to overpay him a little bit in these next three years when you're not really paying anybody else, why not? Why not make him happy? That's something Buffalo has struggled to do with their players over the last couple of years. So congratulations to Rasmus Dahlin, one of the RFAs off the list. Another RFA that was taken off the list earlier in the week, Robert Thomas of the St. Louis Blues. The Blues were up against it in the salary cap. They still have not traded Vladimir Tarasenko. We do not know whether or not they are actually going to pull the trigger on a Vladimir Tarasenko trade. And the one player they had left to sign was Robert Thomas. And they signed him to a two-year, $2.8 million deal. Not a bad deal for a guy like Robert Thomas. I'm not sure what he was initially asking for. I'm not sure where the St. Louis Blues really wanted to, to, to get him signed to. But at two years, $2.8 million, it's not a bad deal for a pretty good depth piece there in St. Louis. And we'll talk about the Blues a little bit later during our Central Division preview. A team that I'm not sure how good they're going to be this year. That there, There's a little tease. I'm not exactly sure how good St. Louis is actually going to be this year. That's with Robert Thomas. That's with Vladimir Tarasenko. I don't know. We'll have to see. That, that That's a discussion for a little bit later in the episode. And then the big signing, Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild, one of the biggest storylines of the offseason was whether or not, not even whether or not, but what the contract is going to look like for the reigning Calder Trophy winner, Kirill Kaprizov. He had a really good first season, really good rookie season with the Minnesota Wild. He became the face of that franchise almost overnight. Almost overnight. I mean, the guy is an absolute stud. For this team. He's a marketable face. He's a marketable name. Probably the most marketable face and name for Minnesota. Since the signings of Parise and Suter. What was that? 10 years ago at this point. And it helps that they also have a really good system right now. They're going to get a guy like Marco Rossi to possibly be able to play for them this year. In the pros. Matthew Boldy playing in the pros. That's going to help a lot. But what helps the most is having this guy back on the ice. Kirill Kaprizov signs the deal, 
gets five years at a $9 million clip. The deal also buys up two years of UFA eligibility for Kaprizov and kind of cements him as the face of the Minnesota Wild for the next half a decade. Is $9 million a lot? Yeah, $9 million is a pretty hefty contract. It's, it's, it's one of the more expensive contracts in the league. But for a guy with the ability of Kirill Kaprizov, is it a fair deal? Yes, I think it is a good deal for general manager Bill Guerin and the entire Minnesota Wild organization. This is a guy you're going to be building around. This is the staple piece of that franchise now. And to have him locked up for five years, including eating a couple years into unrestricted free agency, to have him at $9 million is great for the Minnesota Wild. I do want to bring up his numbers really quickly because I I can't just say he won the Calder and say that he played well and that does it justice because it, it wasn't just barely. If you were paying attention at all last season, you knew who the Calder Trophy winner was going to be and it was going to be Kaprizov. In 55 games. So he only missed one game last year in his first in the NHL. He scored 27 goals and 51 points in 55 games. So almost a point a game player in his first year on North American ice. Almost a 30 goal scorer in only 55 games. He was on pace to probably get close to 40 goals if it was an 82 game season. And I would not be surprised if this season with the full 82 game slate, I would not be surprised if Kaprizov gets to that 40 goal mark. I would not be surprised if he gets to that 80 point mark. Especially, especially if Marco Rossi can step in and become an NHL caliber center right away. Now that is a big if because we do not know what we're going to expect to see from Marco Rossi. I expect him to go out there and win the Calder. We'll talk more about that a little bit later in the episode. But what you do see with Kirill Kaprizov is the face of the Minnesota Wild franchise. There is no doubt about that. He is the guy now. He's marketable. He's talented. He is a good face to have at the face of your franchise. And Bill Guerin did right by him, signing him to $9 million a year for the next five years. You can rest easy if you're in Minnesota because he is there for the entire duration of training camp and ready to roll. That's exactly what you want to see if you're the Minnesota Wild. Another big signing was, and I don't have it on my notes here, so I'm going to have to bring it up really quickly. Cal Peterson of the LA Kings. We talked to Jordy Cunningham on Monday, or excuse me, Tuesday's episode about the LA Kings and about whether or not Cal Peterson is going to be able to be the guy for that team. And looks like Rob Blake is putting his faith in him. Signing him to that extension. After this year where he makes just over $850,000 against the cap, Kyle Peterson was signed to a three-year, $15 million contract with an average annual value of $5 million. We talked on that last episode about how the LA Kings are putting themselves in a position right now to go out and challenge for a playoff spot in the Pacific Division. This is just Rob Blake furthering the narrative that the rebuild is done in Los Angeles and they're ready to start pushing year after year. We talked about it on on Tuesday, adding Philip Deneau, adding Victor Arvidsson, 
having a lot of these young players saying that they're going to be making the jump to the NHL roster this year. Quinton Byfield played a couple games last season. A couple of their other young studs played in a couple games last season. The LA Kings are going to start pushing for a playoff spot starting this year. And they locked up their goaltender of the future in Cal Peterson. Three more years, $5 million per season. So those are all the big signings that I wanted to get to. But there is one other piece of news that I wanted to talk about before I get into the Central Division preview. And this actually kind of lends itself to the Central Division because it circles around the Arizona Coyotes. Most press for the Coyotes in this offseason, realistically, for the past calendar year, has been negative press. But this was not. This was actually very good press. The Arizona Coyotes are moving to the Kachina logo and jerseys full-time after unveiling their road white Kachinas, thanks to the help of Jacob Chikrin, their star defenseman, earlier in the week. I absolutely love it. I was always iffy on the Kachina when they brought it back initially, the dark jersey Kachina. I think it's nice. I just didn't like it because I don't like when teams don't have uniformity. Especially when it comes to their logo. It does bother me with the Pittsburgh Penguins a little bit that their one logo doesn't have the triangle and stuff like that. But the fact that they were so in on the Kachina logo and they go with their reverse retros and they have the Kachina logo, but yet they still had that red Coyote logo, it bothered me a little bit. I'm not going to lie, it did. Now, Arizona is not completely abandoning the Red Coyote head as a logo because they are going to wear their red home jerseys eight times this season, which to me makes no sense. I have no idea why. (laughs) After unveiling this white jersey, which to me is the nicer of the two jerseys, I think they're both really nice. But to me, that white looks a lot more clean than the dark Kachina jersey. If I had money, I might purchase that white jersey, or at least it would be in my top five to purchase. Because I still do want a couple other jerseys. Including a Minnesota Wild Kirill Kaprizov jersey. So if anybody wants to buy me that, uh, shoot me a DM. I'll, I'll send you my, my address for it. But realistically, I'm not sure why Arizona is going back to the red home jerseys eight times. I don't... It, unless they have a contract or something, which they, they shouldn't. Or they're just trying to sell a couple more of those before they stop production. Who knows? But I will be happy when they're full uniformity back in the Kachina. I think that's great. I think they need to commit to the rebrand. Stop trying to wear the red home jerseys. I mean, this franchise has had commitment issues in the past, but it's usually been people not being able to commit to them. They need to commit to this jersey change. They need to commit to this rebrand, which it seems like they have for the most part. But just don't wear the red jerseys for those eight games. There's no purpose. There's no point in wearing that jersey unless, of course, you're trying to get rid of some of the inventory. I guess I understand that. Still wish they wouldn't do it. But oh well. You can only do what you can do. But I do, all in all, I do like the white jerseys. I do like the Kachina logo. I do like that they had one of their only remaining marketable stars in Jacob Chikrin be the first player to see it and be the first player to, to wear it. Obviously, they still have Phil Kessel and Clayton Keller and all of that, but... They committed to a rebuild. Now they're committing to a rebrand. It's the dawn of a new day in Arizona. Let's hope that all of the press, all of the news that comes out from here on out is positive for the Arizona Coyotes. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll be kicking off our Central Division preview 
with our bottom four in the next segment. The teams that I think are going to finish in the bottom of the Central Division. Week two of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week three with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any week three game to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any Week 3 football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 per deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN when you visit the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and opportunities. Again, promo code THPN at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. We're back here on Season 1, Episode 6 of the Hockey Hotbed. Thank you to everybody for tuning in to what will now be our Central Division previews. When it comes to the four divisions, I wanted to kick it off with the Central because... This one was probably the hardest for me to predict because there's so many teams that could be good, but I'm not necessarily sure they're going to be. And I do want to start it off with one of the teams that I think is going to be at the bottom of this division. I think is going to be at the bottom of the league standings throughout probably the entire season. And I did talk about them in, in segment one a little bit. And I said, I hope that all the press is good press, but this is not going to be good press for the Arizona Coyotes because I think they're not going to have a great season. I mentioned, yes, they still have a good player in Jacob Chikrin. Really good defenseman. Could be a Norris-caliber defenseman. They have a good player in Phil Kessel. Everybody loves Phil Kessel. He's still down there in the desert. Clayton Keller is still there. He's a very talented player. They're back to the Kachinas. It's a fresh season. And they're probably going to be contending for Shane Wright the entire time. Which is obviously not a good thing if you want to watch winning hockey. They've had some arena drama, as it is going to be the last season for them at Gila River Arena. They're not going to be relocated, relocated though, thankfully. Thankfully. I I'm glad they're not going to be relocated. I do not want to see the Arizona Coyotes move to the Quebec City. I, I, I don't want to see that. I'm not ready to give up on the Coyotes or Arizona yet. Neither is the NHL. Neither is Gary Bettman. There's no reason to relocate this team. They've shown in the past that they can be a successful franchise. They just need to be ran the correct way. And that's what they started to do during this offseason. Now, 
this is going to be the first season for the Arizona Coyotes in the Central Division after the realignment, thanks to the addition of the Seattle Kraken in the NHL. The Coyotes were kicked from probably the worst division in hockey right now in the Pacific to a division that I'm not going to say they're heading into the season as the best, but if all of these teams play at the top of their talents and the top of their abilities and to the best of their abilities all year, it could be in the running for one of the best divisions in hockey. I'm not joking about that. I know it might sound like it because of how highly I speak of the Metropolitan Division and how highly I speak of the Atlantic Division, but there is definitely a way that the Central Division could become the best division in hockey. The Arizona Coyotes winning would not be part of it, unfortunately. I don't think the Arizona Coyotes have much of a shot at the playoffs. That's why I put them in my bottom four. That's why I'm talking about them first, because I think they're the least likely to move up from this prediction. Now, in the future, could they be better? Yes. They only have six roster players under contract past this season. It's going to be a blank slate for the Coyotes. Not only that, they have nine picks in the first and second round of next year's draft. So if you want drama and you're a Coyotes fan, you just wait until next offseason. Nine picks, I'm sure some of those are going to get traded. Only six roster players, you're going to be adding a lot of players, signing a lot of contracts. There's going to be a lot of news if you're an Arizona Coyotes fan in the summer of 2022. And the rebuild can finally begin properly. They had a little quick shot at trying to contend here when they brought in Phil Kessel, when they initially signed Rick Tockett a couple years ago, or hired, I should say, before he was fired at the end of last season. They sold off Darcy Kemper in the offseason, Connor Garland. They got rid of the Oliver ekman Larson contract. They took on a couple bad contracts from the Canucks, but most of them will be off the books after this year. They also traded Christian Dvorak, and they traded a young stud goaltender in Aiden Hill. But they got plenty of pieces back. Like I mentioned, nine picks in the first and second round of next year's draft. The best part about the Coyotes during this season is going to be watching the Kachina. It truly is. And watching Jacob Chikorin. I don't I don't want anybody to realize, I, I want people to realize how good Jacob Chikorin actually is. But other than that, other than the Kachina, Chikorin, possibly Kessel and Keller, there's not going to be much to watch in Arizona. It's the start of a, of a full-on rebuild. They sold all the way during this past offseason. They're going to be relocated after this season to a separate arena in the Arizona, in the state of Arizona. I believe they're trying to build one in Tempe. So we'll see how that works out. I hope it does for them. I, I truly do. But as far as this season, it's not going to work out for them. The next team that I have in my bottom four is the Nashville Predators. They made a great playoff push last season. At the end of the season, they were really good. It got them into the postseason. And they even gave the Carolina Hurricanes a challenge in that first round. They were a tough team to beat. We started to see the Nashville Predators of 2017 back again. Unfortunately, I don't think that carries over. I, I, I still put them in the bottom of this division. That defense can still be really good. That defense can still be really good. You have Roman Yossi, who's a Norris Trophy winner. You have Matthias Ekholm, who is still pretty good. And behind that, you also have some other pretty decent defensemen. But to me, 
losing both Callie Yarncroke and Victor Arvidsson for nothing. Really nothing. You got nothing back for Arvidsson and you lost Yarncroke to Seattle. That's going to hurt. A forward depth that already wasn't too impressive to begin with. Ryan Johansson, it doesn't doesn't really spark too much excitement. Matt Duchesne, as kind of their premier forward next to Philip Forsberg, doesn't really spark too much excitement. I don't know if Philip Forsberg can carry this team. I don't. And I don't know if there's many other names on this Nashville Predators team that's going to get it done. First year without Pecorine. I still think they're fine in net. Obviously, UC Soros is a really good goaltender. They have a really good defense. They're just in the wrong division to play that way. If they were in the Pacific Division, it'd be a different story because the entire Pacific Division, minus the Vegas Golden Knights, is defense and scoring just enough goals. But the Central's not going to be like that. You're going to have to score more to win in the Central. You're going to have to score more to beat a team like Colorado. I think you're going to have to score more to beat a team like Minnesota. To beat a team like Chicago, even. And we'll get to them. But I don't think the Predators have enough forward depth to get the job done this year. That's why I have them in my bottom four. The next team I have in my bottom four is the Dallas Stars. And I had trouble putting them in here. And this is in no particular order. Other than the fact that I think the Coyotes are going to finish last, most of these are not in any particular order. But I do have the Stars in the bottom half of this division this year. They missed the playoffs entirely last season. Now, they did deal a lot with COVID issues. They did deal a lot with injury issues last season. And listen, they're a talented team. They are a very talented team. I'm not going to lie. They're a good team. A team that could throw this in my face very easily and be in the top four in the division. But something about this doesn't fit to me. Their big offseason acquisition was adding Braden Holtby from the Vancouver Canucks to an already pretty full goaltending rotation. They also added Ryan Suter, which was a good move on their part, picking him up after he got let go, or bought out, I should say, from the Minnesota Wild. So I think they had a decent offseason. I just don't understand not making a move, not adding a different piece. They lost Jamie Alexiak. I get that wasn't a huge piece. They also lost, I believe they lost Jason Dickinson. Let me double check that really quickly. But I do still think they're a talented team. Joe Pavelski, I feel like not enough people are giving him credit for the role he's played since he's gone over to the Stars. Rupe Hintz in the picture to my uh, left again is a, a young player that is also not getting enough credit. So we'll see what they can do. I mean, they're a team that two years ago we're in the Stanley Cup final against a really good Tampa Bay team. So yeah, do I think that they can be good? I, I do. I think they can be. But something tells me that they're not going to be. You know, right now they're over the salary cap. And they did lose Jason Dickinson. I just wanted to double check that. Who was a, a pretty important player to their team last year. But it's just when I look at this team and I look at this roster, there are plenty of good players. Alex Radulov is still a good player. 
Jamie Benn is still a good player. Tyler Sagan, who knows how good he's going to be this year. But at the same time, the guys I just mentioned are getting a little bit older. And it's going to be a little bit harder for them to carry this team. Do they have the young studs to be able to supplement their scoring? Maybe. I like Rupe Hints. I do. I like Dennis Gurionov. I think he is really good. But do they have enough? And is their goaltending going to be able to stay healthy? I mean, Anton Hudobin is back. I told you that they added Braden Holtby. Can he get a bounce back? If he can get a bounce back, that changes this entire conversation. If he becomes the Braden Holtby that we saw during certain points in Washington, that changes this entire conversation. To have him and Hudobin in there. Ben Bishop is fighting injury once again. So you have him injured, and then you also have Jake Ottinger, who's going to supplement. It doesn't seem like he's ever going to become the number one in Dallas, does it? So they have a lot of options in net. They're decent defensively. Their top-end forwards could be really good, but there's still questions to me. That's why I have them in the bottom four. The last team that I have in the bottom four, and it might be a surprise to most people, is the St. Louis Blues. They were able to make the postseason last year in a weak Western division. They were able to slide in as the number four seed only to get embarrassed by the Colorado Avalanche. Now, to be fair, the Avalanche were the President's Trophy winners. The Avalanche were absolutely an embarrassment of riches when it came to talent. And they were a really good team. St. Louis... It was basically Jordan Bennington. How long can he hold the fort? Eventually, the dam was going to break, and it did. But the Avalanche, all in all, embarrassed the St. Louis Blues in the postseason last year. They weren't ready for the postseason. I think everybody in St. Louis was of that understanding that this team is not going to make noise in the postseason. But it was nice for them to get there. It was. It was nice to see the St. Louis Blues back in the postseason. Now, since then... They added Brandon Saad from that really good Avalanche team. I think he helps a little bit with depth scoring for St. Louis. They added Pavel Buchnevich coming over from the New York Rangers. That's also a good addition. They didn't trade Vladimir Tarasenko. Oddly enough, yet, I should say, yet. Whether or not they will, we don't know anymore. That seemed like it was priority number one for the St. Louis Blues. Trade him, get some cap space so you can sign the guys that you need to sign. They haven't traded him yet, but they did sign Brandon Saad. They did trade for Pavel Buchnevich, and they did just sign a couple days ago Robert Thomas. They're over the salary cap, but they can easily send a couple guys down to the minors, and they'll be cap compliant. That's not technically the issue. The issue is, it seemed like during the final game of the Stanley Cup Finals last year, it seemed like Vladimir Tarasenko and the St. Louis Blues come to a realization that their time together was over. Yet Tarasenko is wearing a Blues sweater at training camp now. How that's going to work, we don't know. That's just a storyline that's going to continue from the offseason right into the regular season. Do I think that hurts the St. Louis Blues? No, I don't think it hurts the St. Louis Blues. I think Vladimir Tarasenko is going to go out there and do the best he can and probably be an extremely talented player and still possibly get traded in the first month and second month of the season. If the Blues decide to keep him, yeah, I think he could be he could be a decent player for them. I think he could be an important player 
for the St. Louis Blues. But it has seemed like they are moving on from that era of Blues hockey. And while, when I look at the division as a whole, and I look at the four teams that I'm going to put in the top four, which now if you're, you know, addition by subtraction, deductive reasoning, you know what four teams I'm putting in the top four and I'm going to talk about in the last segment. But when I look at those teams, and I look at the St. Louis Blues, it seems like the St. Louis Blues just held pat. Okay, you added Brandon Saad. That's a good addition to your forward core. You added Pavel Buchnevich. That is a good addition to your forward core. But it doesn't seem like they really moved the needle all that much. They were a fringe playoff team last year that was able to make it just at the end in a very weak division. Now they're back into a division with some teams that are better. I mean, the top tier of the teams in the West last year, a lot of them are back in the Central with the St. Louis Blues. You're talking Minnesotas. You're talking Colorados. And then other teams around them got better. Dallas and St. Louis, I see around the same level. So I'm not sure what to think of the St. Louis Blues. They were a fringe playoff team last season. They brought back basically their entire team, except for the addition of a Buchnevich and Assad. To me, that just doesn't move the needle enough. It does not move the needle enough. So I have them to start the season in my bottom four. We're going to take another quick break, but when we return, we're going to have the top four teams by my opinion, and by my standards, of the Central Division heading into the 2021-22 regular season. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the final segment of Season 1, Episode 6 of the Hockey Hotbed. Thank you for joining us here as I'm running down my Central Division previews. We talked about the bottom four teams in the Central Division, at least in my opinion, the bottom four teams in the Central Division. Now I want to talk to you about who I think are going to be the top four teams in the Central Division and previewing what I believe their seasons are going to be looking like. Now, I want to start off this segment with a team that a lot of people will put in the bottom and a lot of people will put as the 2021 offseason MVPs. And that is the Chicago Blackhawks, at least on the ice. We don't need to get into off the ice right now. We all know how awful that situation is right now. But on the ice, the Chicago Blackhawks probably made the most impressive additions. Defending Vezina Trophy winning goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury is probably the biggest one. And by probably, I mean he is the biggest addition for them. They were also able to add a really good young defenseman in Jake Bean from Carolina. They brought in back-to-back Stanley Cup champion Tyler Johnson, taking advantage of the Tampa Bay Lightning situation and the fact that they could not retain that entire team. They get Tyler Johnson, who is probably going to be a middle six guy. If he's not a top six guy, For the Chicago Blackhawks, he will be at the very least a middle six guy and a great third liner for them. And then, of course, they swung the big deal around draft time 
to acquire Seth Jones from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Paid a lot for him. Paid a massive price tag for him. And then signed him to a massive price tag. Probably a little bit of an overpay. But Seth Jones, while the analytics community and most of the hockey community see him as overrated, while he he might be, he very well might be, and I do agree with those guys, I still think he's a really good defenseman. He's one of the better defensemen in the league. He's not bad by any stretch of the word. So adding a good defenseman like that is going to help the Chicago Blackhawks. Say what you want about him. He is probably a little too overrated. He's probably, you know, they overpaid for him. But when you look at adding Seth Jones and subtracting a guy like Duncan Keith, subtracting a guy like Brent Seabrook, well, yeah, the legacies don't match up. The current day skill does. And Seth Jones is probably better right now than those two are right now. I feel like that's a safe bet. So a good addition there for the Blackhawks in Seth Jones. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Why are you buying into this, Nick? Why do you think the Chicago Blackhawks are going to be all that? And I don't. I don't think they're a Stanley Cup contender. I don't think they're a playoff shoe-in. I'm not even comfortable saying that I was confident as them as the fourth best team in this division. But when I look at the other teams, when I look at the St. Louis Blues, when I look at the Dallas Stars and how they remained stagnant after one missed the playoffs and one barely made the playoffs only to get embarrassed in the first round. And then I look at what Chicago added with Flurry, with Jones, with Bean, with Johnson, with Jonathan Taves. Let's not understate the fact that this team played without their captain last year. And you can say what you want about Jonathan Taves, about how the, how he's overrated. I'm starting to get the sense that a lot of the players on this team are looked at as overrated because Flurry's in that boat as well. Jonathan Taves is a hell of a hockey player and will instantly be the top-line center for the Chicago Blackhawks upon returning. He is a great hockey player. And you add him, plus his knowledge, his experience, to play with some of these young stars, that is going to be a massive boost for the Chicago Blackhawks. And then also, goaltending is everything. Marc-Andre Fleury, year to year, it's a different story for him, it seems. Last year was a Vezina Trophy-winning season. Does that mean this year is going to be good? It doesn't. Does that mean this year is going to be awful? It doesn't. But it does mean that they still added a good goaltender in Marc-Andre Fleury. And behind him, they have a 26-year-old goaltender named Kevin Lankinen that's also pretty darn good. So the Chicago Blackhawks have one of the best goaltending tandems in the Central Division. They have some of the most experienced superstars in the Central Division in Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. Lest we forget, Patrick Kane was the ESPYs Hockey Player of the Year, which was a farce, which made no sense. But he did have a good season last year. I will give it to him. Underrated season for Patrick Kane. But looking at those two guys, Kane and Taves, it's a story as old as time. There's a reason they have three Stanley Cups between them. Understandably, 
how long ago is too long ago when you look at Stanley Cup resumes? It's been six years for the Blackhawks. The only holdovers from those teams are on the screen right now. It's Kane and Taves. Now, two, two of the more important players, two of the best players on that team. But do I think this team is going to be good? Yes, I think this team is going to be good. They have the goaltending. They improve defensively. And more importantly, offensively, they're pretty dangerous. You have the two guys that I've mentioned several times, Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. They're pretty dangerous on the offensive zone. Adding Tyler Johnson is not a joke. Alex DeBrinkett had probably the most underrated season of anybody last year. He had a great season for the Chicago Blackhawks. 32 goals and 56 points in 52 games. He was over a point a game player. Not talked about nearly enough. So yeah, they have DeBrinkett. They have a guy like Dylan Strome. They have guys like Dominic Kubalik. Kirby Doc, if he can take a step forward. This team is going to be a good team. And it's not just because they added Marc-Andre Fleury and Seth Jones. Honestly, if you ask me what the most important addition for the Blackhawks was this offseason, and there were a lot of them, it is Jonathan Taves. If he can come back and he can play healthy and play the way that we know Jonathan Taves to play, that is what's going to propel this team, in my opinion, to a top four spot in that division. Now, I want to keep it rolling here because I talked a lot about the Chicago Blackhawks there. I got on a soapbox a little bit. But there's another team I do want to get on a soapbox on. That's a little bit later. But before I get into that, I want to talk about the Minnesota Wild because I think they're also a top four team in this division. The Wild finished third place in a weak Pacific division last year. That does not mean I think the Minnesota Wild are weak at all. Because I think the Minnesota Wild are a pretty darn good team. I think they're missing a couple pieces. I think there's a couple holes in that lineup that could get exposed at some points this season. But if I'm looking and making tiers out of the Central Division, I think the Minnesota Wild sit in that second tier. There's one team in the top tier. There's two teams in the second tier. And one of them are the Minnesota Wild. The other I'll talk about in a second. They surprised pretty much everybody with how good they were last season. A lot of it helps to the guy they just signed back, Kirill Kaprizov, who's the new face of the franchise, and he's going to lead them again this year to probably another good season. They're also going to be helped by a couple more young players. He has reinforcements coming in the form of Matthew Boldy, in the form of Marco Rossi. They should make a difference this season for the Minnesota Wild. Now, when you look at the Wild, the big thing that they revamped over the offseason was their defensive side of the puck. Their blue line. They added three guys that are going to play pretty much the entire season. And they're hoping for good seasons. They added Jordy Ben. They added veteran Alex Goligoski. And they also added John Merrill. Those are pretty good additions for Bill Guerin and the Minnesota Wild. You have those guys, and it joins Captain Jared Spurgeon. Adds with Jonas Brodine, Matt Dumba, and Dmitry Kulikov. I mean, that's a pretty decent defense right there. That's a defense that's going to be able to get it done 
in the Central Division, in my opinion. The big knock on the Minnesota Wild has always been their center depth. And it's still not there. It, it really isn't. It's going to be a big help if they can get Marco Rossi to play right off the bat. I don't know if that's what their plan is. But I think Marco Rossi this year is going to win the Calder. The last time that a team has put up back-to-back Calder Trophy seasons from two different players, obviously, were back in 1967 and 68, I believe, with Bobby Orr and Derek Sanderson for the Boston Bruins. I think that happens this year. Kirill Kaprizov won the Calder last year. I think Marco Rossi goes out and wins the Calder this year because of how important it's going to be for him to succeed for that team. He's a center prospect on a team that needs centers. When I look at this, they have one top-tier center, and I put that in quotes because I like Joel Eriksson-Eck, and they signed him to a big contract, so he's going to have to produce. I mean, eight years, 5.25 a year, that's a big commitment by the Wild for Joel Eriksson-Eck. And he's the best center on their roster, so why not make that commitment? In this offseason, Bill Guerin had three huge names assigned. Kevin Fiala, Joel Eriksson-Eck, and Kirill Kaprizov. He committed to Joel Eriksson-Eck, big time. Makes sense. They don't have any other centers, really. Signs Fiala to a one-year, basically, bridge deal. And signs Kaprizov to a five-year, pretty much, bridge deal. But eats up a couple UFA years. I think Garen did a really good job keeping this team with where they were at last season and hoping that the young guys can come in, supplement the scoring that they have, and let that team take a step forward this year. A big question mark to me, though, is still going to be in net. Can Cam Talbot repeat what he did last season and be sturdy? Can Kapokakin and take strides forward become a more integral part of the Minnesota Wild? Those are going to be the big questions. But if those questions come back a solid, yeah, it's, it's good. And if Marco Rossi and Matthew Boldy can step up, I could see this team making a lot of noise. As of right now, I see them as the third best team in this division. The second best team in this division to me is the Winnipeg Jets. And it takes a little bit, if it wasn't for how good the Colorado Avalanche were, I would put the Winnipeg Jets first. I'm in absolute awe of this team right now. Of what they could be. This team is my dark horse Stanley Cup pick. The week of the regular season in a couple weeks here, I'm going to give my Stanley Cup predictions. This is my dark horse Stanley Cup pick right here. Might not be my official prediction, but this is a team that I could definitely see making a deep run this year. Mostly thanks to the guy on the screen right now. And if you're listening to the podcast version, the guy on the screen is the goaltender for the Winnipeg Jets, Connor Hellybuck. The guy is Vezina caliber every year. It is Connor Hellybuck, Andre Vasilevsky. Those are the two best goaltenders in hockey right now. Then there's a bit of a drop-off. Then there's the rest of the league. These two guys are the two guys that are consistently going to come in year in and year out right now and be Vezina caliber every season. The problem with the Jets in years past is they haven't had the defense around him. They've had great offense and great scoring depth. They've had great goaltending because of him, 
but they were not able to surround Connor Hellybuck with a good defense. This offseason, they, they helped address that a little bit, adding Nate Schmidt, who I think is primed for a, a bounce back after a bad year in, in Vancouver, excuse me. I think he'll be much better, and I think his transition game is also going to help the Winnipeg Jets. And they also added a bruiser and Brendan Dillon to the blue line. I think that helps them as well. I think they were able to increase the skill and the size of that blue line to get it ready to play in this division. What I think also helps defensively is one of the better two-way forwards in the league and P.L. Dubois is going to finally get a full season there. I think that is going to be huge. Getting to see him play a full season in Winnipeg start to finish without all the drama that he faced last year and without the health issues that he faced last year. I'm excited to see that. And then, of course, you have everybody that's been there before. Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, Nikolai Ehlers. You have Andrew Kopp, Adam Lowry. These guys are all extremely talented players, and they're all very dangerous players in the NHL. So yeah, I'm very high on the Winnipeg Jets right now. I truly am. And I think that is a team that is going to make a lot of noise in the regular season. That is a team that's going to make a lot of noise in the postseason. And everywhere I've been that I've talked about the Winnipeg Jets, I've mentioned this small tidbit. Three of the last four years, the Winnipeg Jets were eliminated by a team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals. I'll say that again one, one more time. Three of the last four seasons, the Winnipeg Jets were eliminated by a team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals. When you think about that and you realize that they really don't lose to a team unless they're a very, very talented team, at least not as of late, and you look at what they added, and you look at what they have, and you look at which division they're in. I think this division plays right into the way the Winnipeg Jets want to play hockey. I think besides the Colorado Avalanche, the Winnipeg Jets have the most lethal offensive threat as far as forward units. They're one of the most lethal offensive teams in this division behind the Avalanche. While we're at it, I guess we'll talk about the Colorado Avalanche. Clearly, going into this season, they're the best team in this division because they were the President's Trophy winners last year. They bring back Gabe Landeskog, get him signed. They do give up a little bit. And the big question is going to be in net. You lose Philip Grubauer. He goes up to play for the Seattle Kraken expansion team. But you add a guy like Darcy Kemper. Now... Is it a risk? A little bit. Do I think it is a downgrade? A little bit. But I still also think that Darcy Kemper, the past couple of seasons, has been an extremely talented goaltender that's put up extremely good numbers on a team that has not been so good in the Arizona Coyotes. So I'm intrigued to see what happens for Darcy Kemper on a team this talented. They also lost guys like Brandon Saad, who I said went over to play for the St. Louis Blues. They lost Jonas Donskoy in the expansion draft. And they had to trade Ryan Graves for pennies on the dollar to the New Jersey Devils. But I still think 
looking at this defensive core, that this is one of, if not the best defensive cores in, in the NHL right now. Obviously, you lead it off with Kale McCarr. Offensively gifted. Amazingly gifted skater. And just an overall stud in Kale McCarr. You also have Eric Johnson. Underrated, in my opinion, but still a pretty stout defensive defenseman. You have Samuel Girard, Devon Taves, Ryan Murray, Bowen Byram. Those guys, especially Bowen Byram. I mean, a little bit more experience for him. This could be his breakout season where he shows everybody exactly why he was so highly touted in the draft a couple years back. And that's the defense. That's without even getting to the fact that they still have Landis Gog after they retained him and signed him to a new deal. They still have Miko Rantanen. They still have the second best player in the NHL in Nathan McKinnon. The list goes Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon. And that is massively important. Their depth is not where it has been the last couple of seasons because of the players they lost. So they're going to need a player like Andre Burakovsky to take a step. They're going to need Nazem Kadri to be at the top of his game. They're going to need a guy like, you know, Valerie Nachushkin to take a step forward, to step into a bigger role, to score a little bit more. But I still think this team, when you look at it, this team is comparable to any team in the NHL right now. The top-end talent, the depth on the defensive side, and the ability of Darcy Kemper, although we don't know how he's going to play with this team, the ability that we've seen of Darcy Kemper, plus the backup like Pavel Francouz, this team is still the class of the Central Division. Not surprisingly. Something I'm very much looking forward to this year when I look at the Colorado Avalanche when I'm going to be watching them, I want to see what Alex Newhook does with a little bit more experience under his belt now. I'm excited to see what he does. Last year, he did not get a lot of playing time. He was not able to get too many reps in the COVID-shortened season. I do want to bring up all of his stats here in a second. Yeah, he only played in six games last season. During the regular season. Six games, three assists. So I'm excited to see what happens whenever he gets the chance to come up and play. Colorado Avalanche losing that forward depth. It's going to be important for them to have a guy like Alex Newhook come up. And take the spot of a guy like Brandon Saad. Take the spot of a guy like Jonas Donskoy. And they feel like they expect him to do so. But that is going to do it for today's episode of the Hockey Hotbed. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. That is our Central Division preview. It's going to be an interesting division. The the Blackhawks are going to be interesting. I mean, the Blackhawks, the Stars, and the Blues are all going to be a mismosh down there. I think the Wild are going to be able to separate themselves from that group. I think the Jets will definitely be able to separate themselves. And I wonder if they take a step back, and if they do, how big of a step back do the Colorado Avalanche take? 
But like I said, that is going to do it for this episode today. We're getting so close, so close to the NHL regular season. Training camps are fully underway now, so a little bit more news coming across the wire. We still have three RFAs left to be unsigned, so maybe they'll get signed, and I'll get to talk about them by the next time I come to you here next Tuesday. That's Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, and Brady Kachuk. But as of right now, I'm going to sign off and say that I will see you guys next week. Have a great weekend, hockey fans.